listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Uh, but let's read from Revelation chapter 1 again. And the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May God indeed bless his word uh, to our hearts. Verse 5b says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen. Now, this part of Revelation chapter 1 is referred to as the doxology it is the offering of praise unto God from John as he opens up his addresses to the church or the churches. And again, verse number four says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And as we thought last time, these churches are real, historic churches. We're going to see them in chapter 2 and 3. But they're also representative of all the churches. And so the word comes to us today. And John is he's opening up this letter and we don't think of Revelation so much as a letter, but it was a letter that was sent around these seven churches. And so you have in the opening words, these words of praise, uh, doxology. And the word doxology speaks of bringing glory to God, using words to bring glory to God. We, we bring glory to God, of course, in our lives. And we live in a way that manifests His attributes towards others. But there is the importance of doxology, of verbally expressing glory to God. And so you see that in verse number 6, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And God is glorified with our words when we reflect with thanksgiving on all that he has done for us. Thanksgiving is a reflection of your appreciation to someone. Here it is to the Lord. It's an expression, a reflection of your gratitude for all the Lord has done for you. But it also, when we engage in proper thanksgiving, it also properly records the generosity of the giver. We're discussing public thanksgiving here. So yes, somebody may, may give you a gift and you may have a quiet word with them and just very discreetly say thank you. But when it comes to the Lord, we are to be public 
We are to be clear and audible as we give thanks to God. And so in that fashion, not only do we reflect our appreciation, but we record the generosity of God. We say to others, this is my good, kind, and generous God. That's the importance of the doxology. And so we are here tonight to give glory to the Lord. It has been encouraging, refreshing again to hear uh, many of you give a word of testimony of God's goodness. And again, our thankfulness shows our appreciation and it shows our recognition of God's attributes of benevolence, kindness and love. In the context here of Revelation chapter 1, John is writing to suffering saints. These are those who shares in the tribulation, according to verse number 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. These are, these are suffering saints who, truth be told, are struggling saints. Chapter 2 and 3, we're going to see that some of these churches have, have real sin issues. There are challenges of coldness and compromise. Oh yes, there are some good things. Uh, many of the churches, there's a recognition of the, the goodness of God in the church. But these are, these are suffering saints who in various ways are struggling with coldness and compromise. In the opening words of this letter, you could see John laying out the state of affairs and rebuke them. He could say, well, your state is due to your sin. You're suffering because you deserve to be suffering. You're suffering because of your coldness and your compromise. But rather, John reminds the church of their standing and their salvation. We do, we, we know our sin, we know our unworthiness. We understand that we are deserving of chastisement at times. But by the grace of God, we are not what we once were. Amen. By the grace of God, everything has changed. And by the grace of God, we have, we have great occasion to be thankful to the Lord. It is not God's will that we live our lives in a perpetual state of conviction of sin in the sense that we felt that before we were converted. We're aware of our sins, but the Lord is gracious and kind and shows us time and time again that we are not who we once were. And the sorrow that we felt when we first came to the Lord is replaced by the joy of knowing the grace of God. That though times of weeping come, joy comes in the morning. And that's often the experience of the child of God. There's that sense of, of mourning for sin, but praise God is replaced with the joy of knowing that though we are sinful, yet we are in Christ. And so it's important that though we, we don't ignore the sin issues in our churches, but we do not so emphasize our sin issues to forget what God has done in our lives by grace. And He has done great and wonderful things in our hearts. And so as you look at this doxology, I want to highlight just three very simple thoughts Things that John can be thankful for. Things that occasion him to say to him be glory and dominion. Things that cause him to be thankful in his spirit. First of all, he is thankful for their security. Very simply, unto him that loved us. Now, this is a Christ-centered doxology. 
We, we saw last time the Trinitarian expression of prayer, grace from the Father, from the Son, and from the Spirit, represented in the three terms of verse number four. But as he reflects upon the Son, verse number five, and from Jesus Christ, who's a faithful witness, he then moves forward in a very Christ-centered fashion. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood. And so he's highlighting the security of the believer in the love that Christ has for them. A cause for thankfulness is the very simple truth that Jesus loves me no matter what. Love is the great confidence we have in our security. And love relates to the subject of suffering in various ways. These are suffering saints. Domitian was a wicked, wicked ruler. They were suffering the loss of friends. Antipas referred to lost his life as a martyr for the cause of Christ. So they are suffering greatly. But when you understand the love that Christ has for you, you also understand that you suffer in part because he loves us. It is his love for us that permits suffering in our lives. That it is because he loves us that he understands that at times it is for our benefit to suffer for a little while. We, we question that. We wonder, is that for the good? But those who have been saved for many years will testify, along with the psalmist, it was good for me that I was afflicted. There's a recognition of God's goodness, his love toward us. And so as a, as a parent may chastise the child and bring pain to the child, they do so for the child's good. And so times we say, unto him that loved us, and we suffer because he loves us. But also, he loves us as we suffer. That in our suffering, he does not cease to love us, but loves us in the course of our suffering so that he's, he's ever available to minister grace in time of need. And even beyond that, our times of suffering cannot remove us from his love. And so yes, we suffer because he loves us. He loves us as we suffer, but our suffering cannot remove us from his love. Go back to Romans chapter 8. All those things are listed. Cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so unto him that loved us. If, you've, if you want something to praise the Lord for tonight, remember that Christ loves you. And that has changed everything in your life. That is a thankfulness for our security. Secondly, there's a thankfulness for our salvation. He goes on to say, Him that hath loved us, that's the source of our salvation, our security. But then there's the, the salvation itself, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The reference to washing here, of course, denotes cleansing. The reference to blood is an allusion back to the Old Testament rituals where it was through bloods that there is sanctification. Sanctification. You turn back to Hebrews chapter 9 and just note this 
very briefly this, of course, Hebrews being the book that so highlights the Old Testament sacrifices and particularly the issue of cleansing through blood. And so you see here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 13, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Here's the idea of cleansing. They're, they are unclean. Someone is defiled in the sight of God, and their flesh is not allowed to enter the presence of God, and so there's blood applied. But the blood of animals, that sanctifies, that cleanses the flesh and allowed the priests to enter into the presence of God. But then verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself with a spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here is this cleansing through the blood of Christ. Your conscience. Do you remember the time when you understood in your own soul that you were not fit to be in God's presence? Remember that sense of defilement where you, you come to the realization, I'm a sinner in the sight of a holy God. I cannot dare approach his presence. And yet the blood of Christ cleanses, washes you, Washes your guilty conscience, whereby you are now giving boldness to enter into his presence. This is a cause for thankfulness. John's using the language, language that is well loved in the free church. He's washed us in his own blood. We believe in the importance of blood washing. It is the merits of Christ's atoning death that enables us to know cleansing without shedding. There's no remission. There's no cleanness without the shedding of Christ's blood, but, but praise God, through his blood we are clean, thoroughly clean, all the way clean. No spot at all left. Our garments are whiter than snow. And so we have the blessing of God in our salvation, which leads in the third place to the thankfulness, the blessing of God in our new status. Through this cleansing, having washed us from our sins, he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. This is our new status. We are royal priests. This is God's redemptive purpose. Go back to Exodus chapter 19, because this is not a, this is not a New Testament thing in itself. It is a, a premise of the old covenant that is brought to fullness in the new Part of God's covenantal purposes to Israel was that they, in verse number 6, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. Of course, and we see that fulfilled in the language of 1 Peter chapter 2, ultimately fulfilled through the work of Christ and the cross. Fulfilled through the blood of the everlasting covenant in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now the priesthood side of things we are more familiar with. We have a pretty good understanding of the priesthood of all believers. We understand that through the blood of Christ being applied that we have the right to approach God and sacrifice to God, the sacrifice of praise 
The sacrifice of giving, Hebrews 13, the sacrifice of self, Romans chapter 12. We, we understand that our sacrifice is acceptable to God. We can approach the Lord. We can pray to God. He speaks to us. There's communion with God. We understand to some degree the idea that we're priests. But you tell the average believer that they're a king unto God, they're less familiar with that concept. We don't believe, really, that we have authority in this world. But the text says to us, And hath made us kings and priests unto God. This is, this is not a future promise. It's a present reality. Now the present reality will know greater fulfillment in the days to come. In fact, in the eternity to come. But our kingship is a present reality. And perhaps the reason we don't understand our kingship is that we, we misunderstand the realm of our kingship. Our kingship is a spiritual kingship. We are kings in Christ. He is our king, of course, and we are kings in him. But as such, we have spiritual authority in this world. Let me show you some of the ways in which we have authority. You go back to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we have the reference in parts to our, our kingship. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. There's a statement, sin shall not have dominion over you. Well, if sin does not have dominion over you, is it not fair to imply that we therefore have dominion over sin? Is that not the inference? Is that not the very point of Romans chapter 6? That we have the ability to crush sin? To put sin to death? That by God's grace we do not need to sin? Therefore you have in verse number 15, What then shall we sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace, God forbid. Know ye not... That to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But thanks, or by God be thanks, that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Dear child of God, you rule over sin. So I, I don't feel that in my experience. I feel myself often in Romans chapter 9, whereby I'm wrestling with remaining sin. Yes, remaining sin indicates there's an ongoing battle. But it doesn't mean that sin reigns over you. By God's grace, dear young person, dear child of God, understand that you do not need to live defeated under the power of sin. You're a priestly king. You also, remarkably, you have dominion over Satan. Resist the devil. And what's he going to do? He's going to beat you down. Because he's, he's the boss. He rules over you. No, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That indicates that you have, you have remarkable power over the devil. You're a king. Under Christ, you're a king. 
So, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and the verse number 13. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. That's amazing. They've overcome the wicked one. In other words, the sense is, by God's grace, they were at a time under the power of Satan, but by grace they were able to overcome the wicked one. How? They do it in Christ. They do it in the power of God in Christ. It's not in their own strength, it's in the strength of God. But they overcome, they overcome the wicked one. You go on down, you'll see this in verse number 14 again. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. It's through the Word, it's through the Spirit of God, their strength in Christ. In that connection over in chapter 4 of 1 John, verse number 4, year of God, little children, and have overcome them. Overcome who? You've overcome the false teachers. Satan has his way in the world through false teaching. But there are people here tonight, you're not deceived by false teachers, are you? You're, you're, you're no longer in Rome under the errors of salvation in some sacramental system. Some of you have been released from that tyranny. False teaching does not rule over you. You're not in a Russellite cult without any confidence in the blood of Christ. You're not in the confusion of Islam or Hinduism. By God's grace, through the word of God, you have overcome false teachers. That's a mark of being a king unto God. Furthermore, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? <clears throat> By faith in Christ you overcome the world. The world's system is seeking to bring you to hell. But by faith in Christ, you swim against the tide. By faith in Christ, you stand against the world. By faith in Christ, you understand that this world is not your home. You're heading to a better home. By faith in Christ, you overcome every temptation the world can bring against you to seek to destroy your soul. But the world will not seek to destroy your soul. And so John, the same writer in 1 John, emphasizes about being an overcomer. And he's the one who's going to record the words of Christ in John 2, or, Romans, or Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And he's going to highlight those who overcome shall have this, this, and the other thing. Because he understands that kings overcome. Amen. And they overcome before they die. You don't wait to death to overcome. You're an overcomer before you get that far. It's incredible to be a child of God. It's beyond our comprehension. It's even it's beyond our own recognition and our experience. Because sometimes we live as paupers and pagans, not as kings and priests. But by grace... By faith in Christ and through the Spirit of God, 
We can do great things for Christ. And so John writes to this struggling, suffering group of churches with their coldness and their compromise, and he is still able to say to them, Praise God for him that hath loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He hath made us kings and priests unto God. Don't forget who you are in Christ. Don't get so downcast in the midst of all of the confusion of these days that you forget what Christ has done for your soul. Therefore, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.